Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. But actually, this is actually going to be part of our Power Up series. And uh, we'll tell you why in a minute. I've got two amazing people joining me here. You know, when we did a show about a week ago, let me just say this as I clean my glasses, of course. When we did a show about a week or so ago, and, and Dr. Frida and I, uh, Dr. Frida Birnbaum joining me here today, and I talked about what is a, com- a bigger conversation look like? And she suggested, why don't we do a panel? And I thought about this, and I thought about going back to my academic, I was going to say career. It was a career. It was 10 years. My academic experience studying psychology and realized that so much of what we do in psychology, of course, is individual. But when it comes to research, when it comes to studies, when it comes to understanding, I don't think there's a a, a discipline around that gets together to talk things out more than that. Uh, For many of you, you may not know we're here today to talk about something that's important to each of us at a personal level. And what that means is that we have people joining in both hours of the show to talk about what I call scapegoating mental illness. Now that sounds harsh, doesn't it? Scapegoating mental illness. Well, you gotta find out what that means. Um, The first part is, you know, related very specifically to what happened in El Paso. And I want to say that those of us that have lost loved ones through terror, those of us that have seen this firsthand, there aren't words that we could talk about today to help those people that are grieving. But first and foremost, what we are going to be talking about today is what actually is happening and what is the truth And for many of you, you know, if you've paid any attention to this, you've seen the president of the uh, APA show up and talk about what is mental illness and what is not. So today, let's take a journey. Because if this thing we call mental illness is so powerful, powerful, powerful in the events that we're seeing across the world and in the United States, then I got a question for you out there, lawmakers. Why the heck you cut Medicaid? But that's another show. Uh, Dr. Frieda, who do we have joining us on the panel? And welcome to the show. Thank well, you. Well, we have somebody who's very special, extremely informed, and I thought about him right away. Uh, he is, uh, his first name is Michael. His last name, I'm going to ask him to, to repeat that because I always have a problem re, uh, uh, pronouncing his name appropriately. So, Michael, do you want to uh, do the honors of pronouncing your last name appropriately? Uh, thank you for the warm introduction, Frida. It's Michael Mestropian. Um, I'm an attorney and a 
also uh, an entrepreneur as well. It's Mesrovian, right? Yes. Michael Mesrovian. Hey, you know, growing up in New York City, you get to know a lot of different names, a lot of different faces, and a lot of different versions of the truth. Um, but what I want to do is I want each of us to introduce ourselves because we're not just going to do this first hour. There's other things that we're going to be doing. And for those of you that are watching on Facebook, you're also seeing the video of this. Um, each of us is here for a reason. And I'd like to go around and start with each of us talking about this show, Dr. Frida, and then Michael, this show, why this is important to you and why this was such an important call to action. Well, it's, I'll tell you the truth, and I really appreciate uh, the visibility on your show because it's very heartbreaking for me. Uh, when we talk about words that can kill, and then we have representatives uh, in our Congress uh, that say hate things, and then we wonder why other people are doing mass murders. I've dealt with it before in my lifetime with my grandparents and with Hitler and never again. And we have people now doing similar situ uh, acts of terrorism, domestic terrorism in our home front. And I'm seeing it before my eyes. And it's extremely scary because we have these copycat killers that once they see one, they identify with it and they say, oh, I understand. I want to make a difference, not necessarily because they want to create violence or they want to do harm, but because they think they have a cause, they think they're doing something right. Wait a minute, you know, we need to have a country where everyone has everything in common. Uh, we need to be able to fight recession. We can't have immigrants come in here and take over. Uh, we need this for ourselves. We need the jobs. Uh, our economy is at stake. So this all starts with something that does make sense. But then the scary part about the diversity in our country is being taken away, the very essence of what freedom means and why we are here to begin with is not being honored. So the name of America, what our country means today, needs to be able to have something that resonates uh, liberty, uh, justice for all. This is the essence. This is why we are here. And we cannot take this lightly because our country and our lives are at stake. And that's why I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Absolutely. And I want to thank you for the idea to pull the panel together. Yes, um, I, I think for me that, you know, there I've done panels before. Uh, uh, don't really know whether or not, it, it, you know, this is an effective way. But I'll tell you this, every time we've done a panel, what it does is it opens up the door to more questions. And if we can't possibly live in the question of things, I'm not sure what the heck we're trying to find answers for. Michael, how about you? Okay, Dr. Pat. So I'm not the psychologist or what I am is I'm a father of three and I'm providing the regular person perspective. So uh, with the legal background, there's a lot of dynamics with all the shootings. And in this country, we generally jump to masking the problem than identifying the core reason for why these things are happening. We're living in a society now where children and even adults get instant gratification. They're on an iPad, an iPhone, an iMac, 
which we're on right now, and whatever someone desires, they get immediately. I think the whole piece of the increase in shootings and things of that nature, the mass murderers, I think is revolving around the need for a voice for people that are troubled. And we need to really think as a country how we can provide another outlet for that. Um, now, again, I don't know if psychotherapy is the way, but, you know, it's the Me Too generation on many levels. Um, and, you know, my wife says to me sometimes when I leave the grocery market, I see a man and he doesn't open a door for me anymore. You know, chivalry is not that. I see Fruga's point about diversity and how our country is becoming um, a more diverse place. But, you know, this is the melting pot. So ideally, we want to be able to converge all people together so that if someone's driving next to you um, and they wave hello, you wave hello back without an air of skepticism. And I think, you know, the whole Bush generation red level, orange level, blue level, you know, conditioned us as a society for not thinking of being hopeful, but thinking of what's the worst thing that's going to come next. So hopefully my value add here today could be, you know, to add the, you know, the common person perspective, you know, gun control, everyone's talking about it. Why can't we have common sense gun control? You can get a driver's license with a written test, but you have to be able to perform your aptitude to be able to control the motor vehicle. However, if I have a driver's license, I can drive to Tennessee and I can buy an AK-47. And at the same situation, no one has any control over my capability or ability to function something that can literally kill. Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about, and I think we're going to have a common sense conversation today. And the reason I say that is because there's a common sense equation that I, I think once upon a time, uh, somehow along the way to becoming me, my mama from the deep south had her first child at 12 and second child at 13. And she would say, say things to us three girls growing up. She would say, girls, honey, let me tell you, y'all, it don't matter how much education you have in school, but if you can't tie your shoelace, you're done. And basically what we're looking at right now is we got a whole lot of people with a whole lot of elections. And I wonder how many shoelaces are getting tied. And that's why today's show. The other thing I learned was in the world of equals, let's talk about equals for a minute, just for fun. So if mental illness, as it's been stated on, on that famous platform, Twitter, in other places, if mental illness causes people to kill other people, right, then what does it say for people that are mentally ill? Do we now rewrite the APA code, which then has to say people that are depressed, people that are this, people that are that, people, do we now round everybody up, now, like round them all up, we all round them all up. And do we put a sticker on their foreheads? Because, you know, we're living in the world of stigmatism. But today's show is for each of us to understand what we're talking about when we say common sense, right? So one of the things I wanted to start off with is this idea where mental illness, from a legal point of view, Michael, from, from a legal point of view, and you know this if you've been in the courts, or if you've watched Law and Order, um, from a 
counseling point of view, from a psychiatry point of view, and in my case, from a behavioral point of view, one plus one doesn't always equal two. And right now we're simplifying something so complex. Dr. Frieda, you want to comment on that? Absolutely. You know, 80% of the people that are shooters are not mentally ill. We all have depressive states. Uh, we all feel uh, at times isolated. Uh, we all are not uh, happy with our lot of life. Uh, doesn't mean that that fits under mental illness. Uh, there are narcissists, the so psychopaths out there as well. But uh, the reality is, is that you really have to be able to have a way of uh, taking this and structuring uh, your behavior. When you're mentally ill, you don't necessarily have those attributes to use from. Usually mental Ill illness is, is about people who are victimized. Uh, they are not the perpetrators of our, our crimes. So we have to get that straight. The people who commit these crimes are the people who have agendas. Uh, the uh, mass murderers, uh, they want to uh, kill as many people as they, before they kill themselves, to take these people along with them. Uh, the murderer from Dayton, Ohio, uh, his agenda is not even known yet, but we do know that he does fit a certain pattern, which is the, the men, young men, who are rejected by other women, uh, who don't feel accepted in society, uh, who are consistently uh, not having careers, jobs, ways of earning a living. Uh, these are people who are not mainstream, uh, who are in society where other people see that they're different. And it's also been said, they're not surprised that this person killed someone else. So they even have a heads up about the different personas and personalities of these people. When you see something like that, when you see someone who's isolating themselves, when you see somebody who's different uh, or looks depressed, you really need to report that person uh, to the school system, the parents should be aware of it, friends. And the simplest thing to do is really to talk to that person. Even bullying, it starts so early in school where that rejection is so painful that you wanna get back in these uh, school shooters, uh, get got back at these other people who they felt when they were not accepted by those people. So these pains, this, this feeling of pain is within them uh, for many years before that even happens. This is not a moment that they decide. This is something that they keep carrying. It keeps festering inside them. Counselors, you know, schools should have mandatory classes for everyone involved. So everybody has a voice and to know what it's like to be equal and to be accepting, no matter how different you are, no matter what your differences are. If you're gay, if, you're, if your uh, orientation is different than other people, you should not be victimized for your differences. Because as I said, differences is really what makes our country so great because we learn from each other. Wouldn't it be boring if we were all the same? So we have to be able to celebrate these things in our lives and see that we really all want the same thing. So when we are with our enemies and we see that they're going to do something harmful, we have to know that it's important that even if we question it, even if we're not sure about it, go ahead, step out of your comfort zone, 
and do yourself a favor by taking care of someone else because you're going to feel much better in the long run as well because you get paid back by giving emotionally. You know, they say even your heart beats mm -hmm. psychologically, physiologically, uh, when you're giving, that's the happiest moment. So give of yourself to other people who are emotionally in need because we are definitely in an emotional crisis in our country today. Yeah, Michael, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Frieda. Michael, I wanna ask you a couple of things. You know, you're the father of three. And, you know, one of the things that I, I'm really struck by is, of course, in the world you live in, in the world of attorney, business owner, father, you know, there are a couple of things that we have been referenced recently. And I want to talk to you and really get your opinion on three things, but let's take them one at a time. One is the notion of video games. The idea of video games made me do it. Now, I'm not an attorney. But I got to ask you the question, uh, how many cases in law are we aware of, like pivotal cases where the idea of the video game made me do it and therefore I am not mentally well? Yeah, so I shouldn't go to jail. Well, you know, that's an interesting question. And to answer it, I kind of have to set a proper parameter. That's akin to asking how many times did somebody say it wasn't me in that video? Yeah. That argument is made a number of times, but not successfully. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that in the video games and the violence, even in the games that my children play, they become completely desensitized to violence. So much so that, you know, I think it was maybe a few years back, I was laying on the couch and my son, my eight year old at the time, came behind me and gave the motion of cutting the throat because he learned that from Call of Duty. Now that obviously is a check on the parent to, you know, stop that. And, you know, even to take this a step further, they have games called Payday where the kids team up with other children online to do a conspiracy to rob a jewelry store. So, I mean, it just takes Grand Theft Auto to like the worst possible potential that you could ever imagine as a parent putting that influence in front of them. However, the advent or the popularity of the Fortnite game, where it's more of a graphical violence, where it's more teamwork and you're working in synergies with other, others, actually is such a dramatic shift from taking that gore and violence out and actually promoting more of the social interaction. Um, you know, as Frida said, we have all different types of people in this country. You know, everyone is going to be influenced by something a little bit differently. You know, in law, they say it's the thin skull rule or the, the eggshell, you know, you take your defendant as you find them. So if someone's ultra sensitive and they have brittle bones and you push them and they fall down and they die as a byproduct of it, you know, that's manslaughter as opposed to simple assault. You can make the argument that video games have desensitized our children, but there's no legal basis for actually exonerating somebody from taking one of these religious actions in a mass murder type format because of the influence solely of video games. When we talk about insanity a little bit, um, you know, there is a valid argument to make that these people are temporarily insane when they're committing these, these atrocities. Now, the planning, the preparation, the manifesto, of course, all those things overcome the defense of temporary insanity. But I almost wish, as Frida said uh, earlier, most of these people die in the act, and they know that it's a suicidal type mission. But I wish, you know, instead of 
you know, putting them to death through the death penalty, which I understand is, you know, a just punishment, you know, the politics floating around there. I would rather err on the side of saying, look, this is an individual who just killed 40 people. Can we study his mind a little bit to like further understand what his motivations are? Yeah. I think there's a value added if we and this is what we'll talk about when we come back, because there's this so much to learn, right? I mean, it's very rare to have a scenario that we have right now. You said it. But on the other hand, is there something that will be learned and shared with the public? This is the question, because or will we learn something that is completely skewed towards the notion of what people already believe the cause. All you need to do is watch the interviews now with average everyday people that you know some of the networks are doing. They're walking the streets, they're interviewing people, they're asking them. And when you look at what they say, for me, uh, and probably for all of you, you're probably shocked because in a weekend now, in a weekend, we have more people that are mental health experts on the streets than in the history of our country. Because what we've done is we've confused mental health and mental illness and mental disorders. We've confused it. So now we have a whole grouping of things. Imagine you're somebody right now, before we go to break, imagine you're somebody right now. Now, clearly in my family, my mother committed suicide. So there are many things we could probably talk to about that. And none of us never really know the truth, but we could probably figure a few things out. But imagine that you're somebody now and you're listening to this and you've been struggling for most of your life or recently, maybe with depression, you know, maybe you have bipolar disorder. Maybe you have a wide range of things. Maybe you're, you're so anxious, like the United States has been viewed one of the most anxiety-ridden countries. Maybe that's you. What are you thinking now? Did we, do we even care what the impact might be on people that have really struggled in the community where their mental health and, and what they're trying to do under the guise of mental illness, working with a professional, some of them taking medication, how might they feel today being categorized as we just did? We're going to take a short break. When we come back, okay, it's a great question, right? Right? right. I mean, afterwards, I, I know the ladies that I work with in this category are, are you know, they're asking certain questions. When we come back, Yes, a sir. lot of legal ramifications, Michael, around this assessment, if we believe it. But more importantly, let's please take a moment for those that have died. Because in all of the conversation is so quickly, so quickly, we forget those people, the heroics, the people that stood up, the lives that have been lost. And let's hope they're not lost for nothing. We'll be right back. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Steffen each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. 
celebrating 40 years of peace through music. Dr. Pat Basili is thrilled to be partnering with Dudley and Dean Evanson, co-founders of Soundings of the Planet. Music and video created for peace and healing. Immerse yourself in benefits of music for meditation, relaxation, and stress reduction. This peaceful and meditative form of music is available for free on all streaming services. Search Dean Evanson on Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, and iTunes, or visit soundings.com for more information. Do you want the knowledge and wisdom to understand where spirituality, science, and psychology intersect? Then join the Karmic Path Radio Show with Tina and Laura on TransformationTalkRadio.com Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific. Follow this charmingly, disarmingly dynamic duo as they explore how psychic ability, spirituality, and karmic law tie together. For more information on Tina, Laura, and their groundbreaking work, visit TheKarmicPath.com. It's time to step into the power of yes. Creating the life you want is up to you. The power comes from saying yes to ourselves, yes to possibilities, and yes to change. Are you ready? Start achieving your goals and moving life in the direction you want. Tune in each month to Yes Minded Power Radio with Barbara Scheidegger to start living your future now. For more information about the show and working with Barbara, visit yesmindedpower.com. What is a brilliant culture and how do we create them? Why are they important? Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you align your culture with your business strategy for exceptional results. Looking for a culture that drives organizational excellence? Listen to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the second and fourth Friday of each month at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit culturalbrilliance.com. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Thank you for tuning us in, turning us on. And of course, this is being heard on the Dr. Pat Show and on Power Up. You know, today I'm very, first of all, I'm honored and I'm thrilled that, uh, you know, we are on a panel today to really talk about some of the questions that you all have sent us, some of the things that have been important. Uh, for For the three of us, we are involved in or work in or associated with in some way you know, the community of mental wellness and well-being. And each of us has our own perspective on that, and that's what you're hearing today. But today's show or episode title is one that's very specific to uh, a number of different perspectives, and that is scapegoating mental illness. Uh, And by doing that, what do we do Do we insult the citizens of El Paso, as it says, insulting the citizens of El Paso? Because when you talk to them, what are they saying? They're saying hate. Hate. Is hate a mental illness? Before we take on this topic, and certainly what we were talking about before the break, uh, I'd like my panel guests today to introduce themselves and give us lots of information about who they are. Uh, Dr. Frieda, why don't you go first? I'm a research psychologist, I'm author, award-winning speaker, and I'm mostly, people can see me in the media, 
television and radio on shows like yourself, international, national shows, syndicated shows. And um, just happy to be here today and talk about this extremely important topic. So thank you so much. Yeah, Michael, please. Certainly. I'm Michael Mesropian. I'm an attorney, a business owner, a father of three. And I hope to be able to provide a common sense perspective on a number of these topics moving forward and also lead a perspective as well. Thank you. And thank you both. Um, this is a serious topic. And, you, you know, I, we were chatting before the break and I, I asked an open ended question, but it does tie in to something else, too. You know, you think when we have a horrific situation that we cannot make it any worse. You know, you would think that, Dr. Frieda, right? Yes. Think here it is. Beyond anything that we could explain, another mass shooting people of El Paso, one of the most incredible communities we have here to be, you know, if you, anybody knows anything about El Paso, sure. but here we are. And, you know, mama used to say, girls, whatever you do in life, man, don't you want, don't put salt on them wounds. And by not acknowledging what some people think was underneath all of this, and we're going to talk about the manifesto, what have we done here? Are we scapegoating mental illness? Is there something here to look at? Are we ever going to get a real truth here? Well, you know, the real truth is when we're looking at uh, mental illness, uh, the implications of mental illness is that there's a stigma to it. And there is no stigma. It's a medical problem. People don't do this to themselves. It's like having a broken leg. There are no real reasons why someone would be categorized as a weak person because they have a well mental illness. You know, and sometimes we all have moments in our lives where we have some kind of mental uh, deficit or defect. Something's happening to us. Some kind of tragedy is happening to us. We don't go out and kill anybody, hopefully, of course. But we all have these depressive episodes, uh, not full-blown depression, that we do have to deal with. We can acknowledge it and accept it and heal. We need to have easy access uh, for counseling for all people of all economic levels so they can go in without feeling that they're going to be categorized as a problem person. And when that happens, and when that's made more commonplace, then mental illness will have a different type of outlook. We'll be able to treat these people and these people won't have a fear of being looked at, of being less than other people. The other thing quickly, I just want to say, when we spoke about uh, video games, you know, in Europe, they watch these video games or even more so, and they don't have uh, these kind of mass murderers. So the real issue is what's happening here in our homeland uh, that's creating it because mental illness, video games, those are all excuses for what's really going on in our country right now as we speak and immigration is a word that we need to look at and is scaring us and is scaring people of the implications of they're going to have less than because other people will be taking what they have, their wages, their education, uh, their jobs. So this is a crisis. This is almost similar to an epidemic that needs to be stopped because as we keep going, it's only going to get worse. So we have to be able to put a hold to it and to be able to take out this fire that's really burning rampant in our country with our representatives as well. 
our politicians, and it's filtering down to the rest of the people around us. Hmm. Michael, from your perspective, let's talk about this, especially from the video game perspective, but also from you know the generational gap in terms of where we are with how we behave in society. Well, thank you, Dr. Pat. Um, the video games in and of themselves are you know, uh, really desensitizing <clears throat> an entire generation of children toward violence. Um, you know, there's no if, and, or buts about that. Uh, the influence of that basically uh, allows a child to equate, you know, killing a person with, you know, turning on an Xbox. I mean, it, it's horrible. We're, we're basically developing a generation of children that mass shootings, it's not a big deal. Um, you know, in, in our house, yeah. you know, personally, we can't watch the news because on 2, 4, 7, 9, 11, anytime it's primetime news, there are very, very difficult questions to answer as a parent. You know, how do you talk to your child about 39 people getting murdered and what reason did they get murdered for? Um, as a society, as a whole, you can't even remember the names of the people that did these mass shootings because we've just been inundated. Um, and then, you know, emotions rise and then people try to find a, a band-aid to the problem gun control, we should take away all the guns. Well, in Europe, you know, gun laws are very strict and people do mass killings with knives or trucks. I mean, look at Paris a few years back. So it's not just the United States problem, maybe the ease of access toward weapons and a whole generation of desensitized people toward violence makes it a much easier play for people to do this country. And as you know, Frida said, you know, and as you mentioned, Dr. Pat, yeah. Mental health. Um, I'm going to paraphrase you for a moment, but we take a block of prosciutto and we cut it in half and say this entire block of prosciutto contains all the mental health issues. So, as a society, it's very difficult to say, oh, this person had a mental disorder or they had a mental impairment, but they weren't legally insane. And now we group everybody together, every soccer mom at home, you know, every dad who's depressed, every person that's on Xanax and say, geez. Are they going to be the next mass murderer? Because we're painting with too broad of a stroke. Yeah. We need a little bit more detail. You know, what's yeah. This, what's the root cause of this? Yeah. And let's do this because I didn't do this and I apologize to everybody. Uh, but let's lay this out uh, for everyone. And thank you for bringing that up, Michael. You know, let's talk about what and I'm going to go to one place and then we'll go to another later. The American Psychiatric Association. What is mental illness? So let's just be clear what it is and what it isn't. Mental illnesses are health conditions involving changes in emotional, emotion, thinking, or behavior, or a combination of those. Mental illnesses are associated with distress or problems functioning in social work or family activities. In, a, in any given year, mental illness in any given year is common. Here we go. Nearly one in five adults experience some form of mental illness. One in 24 have serious mental illness. So let me just be clear about this. And then one in 12 have a diagnosable substance use disorder. Mental illness is treatable. The question is, if mental illness is treatable, is hate treatable? And there's, that's a bigger show and a bigger question. 
but 19% of all adults experience some form of, and this is only what's reported, by the way, Michael, Dr. Frieda, this is only the reported. Uh, one in tw- 4%, right? Serious. So this is from a psychiatric point of view and not a psychological point of view, because what they're looking at here, they're looking at people that come in that here I am, we're going to get bipolar medication. We're going to, uh, 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 but the statement, I want to ask both of you, mental illness is common. I want to, I want to have each of you respond to that statement. Uh, I can start with responding, you know, hatred and comparing that to mental illness. Uh, you know, there's some religions that they even have that in their books, their religious books, to hate certain types of people. Uh, with different backgrounds than them. So it's inborn, it's inbred, and that's when it's dangerous. And then it does become like a disease because they carry this around with them. You know, jealousy jealousy can kill. Uh, being competitive is good to a certain point, but when it gets to the area of being violent uh, and killing other people, when you go get to this place of being out of control, is that a mental illness? Well, you're right that can be identified in the same way because you're not in reality. You're living in a perception. And this is very dangerous for our country when we use words of hate, which create a perception that then creates some kind of mental illness. And when we are treating these people, we have to go to the core of the seed of where this happens and how to re-educate people in classes, in communities, adults to know that different people are not different than them mm-hmm. they just have different backgrounds and that's really where it starts with this mental illness and what how it's defined today with the hatred that we're living in uh today and we you know we uh, when i get a chance i'd like to talk about the shooter well and- let, let's hold off on that for a minute yes. because i i honestly don't want to give the shooter a whole lot of time today Okay, um, but I, but I want to I want to ask Michael I want want you to weigh in because he, here's the thing, so here we are, and you know the president, Rosie Phillips Davis, president of the APA, American Psychological Association, made it very clear, right, about gun violence, but also made it very clear about the idea of having comp- you know. Uh, comprehensive public health approach to gun violence. And and when she did that, you know, she made this bold statement that gun violence is a public health crisis and should be addressed as such, you know, studies, motor vehicle, it should be addressed like we study motor vehicle deaths or other things that we study, right? And, 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 you know, what she came out and, you know, what Dr. Davis came out and talked about is she called for funding for the Center for Disease Control, right, to look at this. But then she also said, look, anyone who is struggling in the aftermath of these, you know, to reach outside of themselves, to family and friends. But the point of her conversation three days ago was not about mental illness, but her words are, let's work together to stop the spread of hatred and bigotry and to get the guns out of the hands of people prone to violence. So here we are. You have the president, right, uh, who says, quote directly, Michael, people with mental illness are no more likely to commit violent acts 
than people without mental illness, and in fact, are more likely to be the victims of violence. So, Michael, here we are in the face of the, the, the top echelon of the American Psychological Association, and yet we still can't hear that. When people are interviewed on the streets, they're still saying mental illness. What, what do you make of that? People are confused. You know, as I said earlier, and you said during the break as well, um, you know, it depends on how you cut the mental illness bubble. You know, we are categorizing and just by definition, everyone experiences some form of mental illness during their daytime. Um, what we're seeing, I think, is, is that with these mass shooters is that what's the straw? I mean, they're so <laughs> they're so wound up tightly that what's the straw that broke their back? And now in our current situation, Mr. Trump does come with, you know, um, a lot of firm rhetoric that if somebody's teetering on the edge, that may put them over. It also may be a byproduct of, you know, as Frida mentioned earlier, immigration, and now they feel like they're being wrong. But more importantly, we're, that's trying to put a bandaid on the issue. We need to have money. Because if we don't have money in other parts of the government, then we can't address and treat people that can't afford it. We can't identify them. We cannot help them. You know, in our society, I know everyone says, hate is horrible, hate is horrible. But you know what? I have children. They hate broccoli. They hate cauliflower. You know, people are going to learn hate at a younger age. But what people have problems with later on in life is developing a coping mechanism to deal with that hatred. You know, you can dislike something. That's fine. But when does your dislike become a murderous rage? You know, there has to be some mechanism that we as a society can put in place. Um, if you're upset that someone cut you off and you peep at them and they yell at them, that's your coping mechanism. It's done and it's over with. You know, again, being a resident of New Jersey, we have a lot more of that than the rest of the country. Yeah, I know, right. Um, but, but, and you're right about that. Uh, Dr. Fried, I want to get back to you to talk about the shooter for a minute, because you can't talk about the shooter without talking about the manifesto. And I think this ties into what Michael is saying. Absolutely. Also, you know, I just want to add the fact that, you know, when people feel they don't have enough, uh, a recession, uh, equal pay, uh, they really feel that something is being taken away from them. And we need to go not only our country, other countries, and plant the seeds for them so they can have and take care of this themselves rather than looking for other people. So there's this mindset of what can you do for me, which really needs to be what can I do for myself because we live in a country where we can get this type of uh, experience and we can get this type of equality if we just go out there and aim for it rather than blaming other people and we need to know how to do that we need to give give people uh you know wages they need to have an, a way to earn a living uh, they don't have a deficit they won't be as angry uh, to other people that are taking it away from them so the mindset of these uh people uh we're looking uh and you're right about the uh names i have the name in front of me i don't even want to mention his name i don't think that he deserves uh, to be uh, identified because that's what they try to do. They go try to go out in glory because they've been so rejected by life that they can finally have some kind of voice, some kind of visibility. Uh, they feel empowered by what they do and they want to be able to think that they're making a difference 
And as I said before, in their minds, they're doing something that's right, not wrong. Getting people, getting rid of people that are in the way of other people. So, uh, but you know, Dr. Frida, let's let's just be very clear about this person. In the manifesto, this individual made it really clear that he was not really like underrepresented. I mean, as a matter of fact, one of the lines from the manifesto, from what I understand, says, I'm not really motivated to do anything more than what's necessary to get by. Now, does that sound like somebody that doesn't feel like they're getting their fair share in life? No, no. Well, this is somebody who uh, wrote about, uh, you know, in El Paso, uh, that he wanted to aim at Mexicans. Yep, that's it. As many Mexicans as you could get. And uh, it didn't take long that he killed uh, 22 people uh, in Walmart. Uh, and he traveled a long way. So he really went out of his way, and was fully armed. Um, and had all the ammunition that he could use, that he needed. Um, and, you know, uh, the attack is the uh, response to his uh, feeling that the Hispanics have invaded Texas. Yeah. Uh, so he came with this emotional armor uh, to get rid of these people. And he was unemployed himself for five months. So he was definitely not in a good place. Uh, and uh, he wanted to... Uh, really go ahead and get this revenge and he was able to do so so we're talking about somebody uh that got away with what he wanted to do and we need to look at how these people how these criminals uh can be prevented uh with these guns that they are getting uh, that we need to have driver's license mm -hmm. for our, our cars mm -hmm. uh, what about having licensing for guns and uh, having them demonstrate that they know how to shoot uh, safely mm -hmm. and they're, as we talked about their mental state yeah yeah, uh, yeah right all this so the shooter that had these weapons uh was not identified as such and got and slipped under uh, our uh, way of looking and identifying mm -hmm. that we have uh, these international uh, uh, shooters that come and we have yeah uh, well, we're going to talk we're going to talk more about it in the next hour because you know this hour has gone by very oh, very quickly oh, fast, my goodness yeah I, I want to just uh, Michael you're not going to be joining us in the next hour and I wanted to go to you and I wanted to ask you you know, from where you sit, and, and we have part two coming up to talk about this, um, where you sit, what's your personal message when you think about this and you look at this, because uh, Dr. Frida and I are going to be on in the next hour talking about it. When you look at this and you think about this, you know, what comes to mind for you? Well, what I think we need to do as a country is we need to be able to talk to our neighbors. We need to be able to put uh, less of a reliance on technology because technology has basically caused a whole generation of people for instant gratification. We need to humanize one another. Um, and we need to stop and take the label and the stigma off of mental illness and identify every person that engages in a mass shooting as a mentally ill individual. Um, it's too broad of a stroke and then it opens up questions and you're basically asking for us to discriminate against people. And then on the flip side, again, not to batter the Bush administration, but with the whole colored warnings on terrorism, it, it really caused a whole paranoia as a society. 
And now we're doing the same thing and putting the same stigma on people that are mentally ill. So mm -hmm. if you're mentally ill and you're having a bad day, you know what? Maybe I go to the gun store and get an AK-47 and kill them. That's not something that we should be okay with. And Frida and you, Dr. Pat, are both right. There should be no publicity at all for the individual. And whatever manifesto he has, that should pretty much go out the window. Mm -hmm. You know, we should shred that and burn that up. Um, these aren't people that are, you know, sociopaths in the regular definition of the word, as a serial killer per se. These are people that just want to do it quickly. And you know what? That individual, even in his manifesto, he's apathetic. Like, I know it's ridiculous to say that a person that murdered more than two, three dozen people was apathetic, but he had no initiative. You know, to harken back to the History Channel, you know, John F. Kennedy, um, you know, ask not what you can do for her what the country can do for you, but what you can do for the country. We need more hope. We need a positive message. And, you know, that's what we need as a society to do.